and turn to Psalm 119, please. Psalm 119. And if you've not been with us, we have just begun uh, this series of messages working our way through Psalm 119, and we've done a little introductory type uh, thoughts regarding this psalm. And we've started to work into this first section. And if you know anything about the Psalm 119, you know it as the Word of God psalm. It's all about the law of God. And the psalmist in this uh, psalm doesn't talk about the temple. He doesn't talk about Jewish sacrifice, nothing along those lines. The emphasis of the psalm is about the inward work of God in the heart through the Word of God. And the psalmist is very, very much in love with God's Word and God Himself. And that's really the theme with Psalm 119. And we've talked about how the format of this psalm is is an acrostic. It consists of 22 stanzas or verses, if you will, each one containing eight verses in them. And if you look at every section of Psalm 119, it's got eight verses And each one of them, in order, is a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so each new section uh, emphasizes or starts a letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it goes in order. But the theme is the most important thing. The theme is the law of God. It's referred to, the law of God is referred to in 173 of the 176 verses in this psalm. God Himself is mentioned or referred to in every single one of the verses of this psalm. In this first stanza, or first eight verses that we've been in, the theme of this uh, particular section is what will happen in the life of the one who makes the Word of God the center of his life. And we said that we would see three things, that, we, that the Word of God makes a happy man, he makes a ho- it makes a holy man, and thirdly, a humble man. And, and we, we looked in verses 1 through 3 how the Word of God makes a happy man, a happy person. The Bible says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep His testimonies, and that seek Him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity, they walk in His ways. And we had said that, the, that a man is happy because the Word of God is what rules in his life. In verse 1, says that the Word of God rules in His ways. Blessed is, are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. That word way there, it, it's a word that suggests a course of conduct that is marked out by God's Word. It's, it's a road that is trodden. It's a way of life for a person. And it's a course that is mapped out by God's law. That's how this person's life is lived. And he says, blessed is the person who walks in the law of the Lord. That word blessed, again, I've told you this before, it's plural in the Hebrew. It means happy, happy. It means the abundance of happiness. Oh, the happinesses in a person's life. And what the psalmist is saying here is, blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. He says the ultimate secret to happiness in your life is to live according to the principles found in God's Word. And we see case after case after case after case of people who live their life according to their own will, and their life is a wreck. Their life is a mess. 
But a life that is lived in obedience to the Word of God is truly a happy life. And that is true if you have been saved and you've been obedient to God's Word and you've built your life around the truth of God, you find a sense of joy, a sense of peace, a sense of happiness because we're fulfilling our purpose in being obedient to God. Secondly, we looked at verses 4 through 6, how the Word of God makes a holy man. Verse 4 says, Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. The psalmist here says, in verse 4, Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. The word precept here, it means to take charge. It's a mandate. It's an order intended as a rule of action or conduct. In, order, in other words, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an order or a mandate of God. And the idea here is the, is the mandates that God puts on humankind. The word precept is a general term for the responsibility that God places on mankind. And the thought behind that, for you and for me, or the application at least, is that we ought to live our life with a healthy fear of God, because He is God. And there's many a time when we treat the words of God, and, and, and specifically the Word of God, there are many a times when we treat His Word as if it were just suggestions for us to follow, or as if it were not true, or as if there will be no consequence for our lack of obedience to it. God didn't give us His Word just as a book of suggestions for us to follow. The psalmist says, Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts. And we see the desire of the psalmist in verse 5, where he says, Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. The psalmist cries out with this longing and this desire of heart when he says that, Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. The word directed means established. It means fixed. The word statutes here, it means mandates, but it comes with... Uh, this meaning that it means to engrave or to be permanent, like the Ten Commandments engraved in tables of stone. And the psalmist says, oh, I wish, I wish that I was consistent, and I wish that my ways were established and permanent in obe obeying the Lord. You ever feel like that in your life? The psalmist realizes here that he's mortal and that he's inconsistent. But he longs and wishes that his ways were fixed or established in obedience. And that's where we've gone in this psalm so far. And that leads us into the last two verses of this stanza. The Word of God not only makes a happy person, a happy man, a holy man, but the Word of God will make a humble man. Look at verse 7. The psalmist says, I will praise thee with uprightness of heart, when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments, I will keep thy statutes. Oh, forsake me not utterly. Let's pray and then we'll look into these verses. Lord, I pray that you'd help us tonight in understanding of your word. And as we make application, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to grow deeper in our appreciation, our love for God's word. And a greater desire and longing to be obedient to truth and to apply it in our life, and to build our life on it. 
And we would do well and we would reap the benefits of a life that is lived according to the principles of God's Word, just as you promised. And I pray, Lord, that we'd have that a, a personal experience in our life. And so, Lord, would you bless tonight and help and encourage us and challenge us with truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse 7, again, the psalmist says, I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. The psalmist is not proud here. He's not arrogant in his determination or desire to live a holy life. He's talked about how blessed is the person who walks in the law of the Lord. He's talked about how God has commanded us to keep the precepts of God. And he says, when I have respect in all thy commandments, I won't be ashamed. And then he says, I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I've learned thy righteous judgments. He's, he has a desire for truth. He has a desire to be obedient to the word of God, yet he doesn't think that he has arrived. He doesn't think that he is more spiritual than others. He doesn't look down on others. He's not self-righteous. He's not a proud Pharisee comparing himself with others and saying, God, I thank thee that I am not like other people are. He's not doing any of those things, but what we do find him doing is that he is recognizing that he still has a ways to go. He still has things that he needs to learn in his life. He says, I'll praise thee when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. The implication here is that there is still more that he doesn't know. He needs to learn some things still. The word judgments means simply a verdict. And the idea is, or the thought that's contained here, is, is of a legal decision. It's a judicial decision which makes an authoritative ruling uh, in place. And so the psalmist says here that God's verdicts and God's uh, judgments and God's rulings are always righteous. And he says, I'll praise you when I've learned those righteous judgments. Sometimes the word judgments here is used to describe God's judicial acts when it comes to executing His judgment on the wicked. That God is right and God is just in the, the deeds that He does or the things that He executes. But the psalmist realized that, this, that he didn't actually know all the cases in which God had acted judicially in this world or even in his life. But he did know that God was always righteous. He didn't know how God would act in every circumstance or how God would act in every instance. And maybe he didn't even understand all the things that God had done or the things that God was doing or the things that God would do. He didn't know exactly all of those things, but he did have confidence that when he was finally in possession of all the facts, that he would praise the Lord with uprightness of heart because he would understand how good and right God is. And you know what? There are many times when we don't have all the facts about things, especially in circumstances of life. There are times when the circumstances create some vexing questions, questions of why. Questions of how, like how, how in the world 
did this happen? Why did something like this happen, God? And we can ask God why in our hearts. And when those questions of why begin to come out and those questions of how begin to arise in life, it can have an effect that causes us to begin to doubt, to doubt in the goodness of God. I think of an example in the scriptures like John the Baptist, for example. Go over to Matthew chapter 11. Just keep your place here. In Matthew chapter 11, look at verse 1 and following. Matthew 11, 1, And it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding His twelve disciples, He departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Now in this situation, we know in verse 2 that John the Baptist is in prison. Verse 2 says that when John heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples to Jesus to ask him this question, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? And at this point, John had been in prison a long time, undoubtedly months in this same circumstance. And it had affected John to the point that he started to doubt even the person of Jesus Christ. Are you really the Messiah? Are you really the promised one? Or do we look for somebody else? Now this is the same John who was so bold in preaching concerning Jesus Christ. If you go over to John chapter 1, in verse 27, note this here in John chapter 1. In verse 27, the Bible says, He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethbara beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And there are other passages where John is just so bold in his preaching concerning Jesus Christ that he is the promised one. He is the Messiah. And the point I'm making here is that there was a time in John's life where there was no doubt in his mind who Jesus was. But when he was thrown into prison, into those hard circumstances, he began to doubt And he said, are you really the Messiah? Are you really the promised one? Or do we look for another? John the Baptist found himself a bit defeated and discouraged. And his thinking was clouded because of these circumstances. But how many times have we found ourselves in the same spot? We find ourselves in a situation that we cannot change. We find ourselves with a problem that we cannot solve. There's no answer to the issue. We find ourselves 
in a, in a place that there's nothing that we can actually do. And when that happens, we sometimes begin to get discouraged and maybe even come to a place of doubt as well. And the problem is that we cannot see the path. We cannot see what God is doing. But we, listen, in times like that, we always can trust his character. John found himself doubting. John found himself discouraged because he was listening to his own doubts and his own fears. The blessing is that John went to the right source. He went to the Lord with those doubts. But here's the point. When you listen to what you think and you listen to what you feel on the inside, you look at what you see and you interpret that uh, in, in a certain way, or, or you listen to what your heart tells you, that's the moment we begin to find ourselves in trouble. You cannot trust your eyes because they don't see everything. You can't trust what you feel because we're called to walk by faith, not by our feelings. You certainly can't trust your heart because the Bible tells us that your heart is a liar, that it's lying to you. And we need to come to the place where we simply trust the Lord. Even when we cannot trace exactly what He is doing. And often during trials in our lives, we'll not see what the Lord is doing. And, we'll, and, and He's not doing what we think He should be doing. And we can become disillusioned or we can become discouraged or defeated. And our problem is similar to that of John's. We cannot see the big picture of all that God is doing and all that God is, is working. And often we don't see what's really going on. We know that there are, are trials in front of us. We know that there are problems. We know that it doesn't seem like I have an answer for them. But we can't see everything that God is doing. And you know that God knows more than we will ever know about any kind of situation at any time and in any place. We need to trust Him. And the psalmist says here in our psalm, he says, When I am instructed in thy righteous judgments, when I learn all the facts, I know that in the end I'm going to praise you because your verdicts are righteous. Did you know that in John's situation that we've just been looking at, that Jesus assured John in his time of doubt by simply pointing him back to the Word of God. Look at, since you're there in Matthew chapter 11, look at verse 4. <clears throat> After John asks his question, John was human, he was doubting. But the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't rebuke John here. What he does is he points him back to the Word of God. In verse 4, Jesus answered and said unto him, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. You say, well, how is Jesus referring him back to the word of God? Well, Jesus is reporting all the things that he was doing, and he simply seemed to be saying, hey, John, you just need to go back into the Scriptures and read what the Scriptures say is going to happen when the Messiah comes, when the Promised One is here. You need to read your Bible and you'll understand. 
And there are some, maybe, some, maybe some thoughts and some verses that Jesus might have had in mind in Isaiah chapter 35. I'll just read some to you. You can turn there if you want, but I'll get there before you maybe. In Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 3, Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. And even, even God with a recompense, he will come and save you. The eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as in heart and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. In Isaiah chapter 61, another prophecy concerning the Messiah, Isaiah 61 in verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. And Jesus says, go tell John the things that you see and that you hear, that the deaf are, being, are, are allowed to hear again, and the blind are able to see, and the lame are able to walk again. Tell John that I am doing everything that the prophets said I would do. I'm fulfilling the word of God. And tell John, go back and look at what the scriptures say concerning the Messiah. It's happening. And the point that I'm making with this illustration is this. Jesus pointed John back to the scriptures in his time of doubt. And the Bible is the absolute cure for our doubts. Let the Bible put doubt to death. Bring those questions and lay them before the Word of God and watch God give you answers uh, for your life. This, listen, how is it that God will give us answers? How is it the cure for our doubts? Because this book is where we learn of His character and His heart. The world is full of mysteries. We can ask questions like, why do people suffer? We could ask questions, why do babies and young children get sick and suffer and die? Why do good people seem to have more than their fair share of problems and trials? Why does it seem like serving God and living for God doesn't pay off in this world? Why is the world just full of sickness and suffering and death and sorrow? We can ask question after question of why. And we'll never have the answers to all of those questions. And if we allow our hearts and our minds to dwell on those kinds of things, you know, we can find our faith shipwrecked on the rocks of doubt. We could be like Asaph in Psalm 73. Go ahead and read it sometime. He was pretty disillusioned about what he saw happening around him until, until he came into the house of the Lord, until he got his eyes back on the Lord and what I'm saying, in those times of frustration or even doubt, we need to remember God's power. We need to look again at the character of God. And why is it that God's people doubt sometimes? Why is it that we ask the questions of why? Often it's because we put God in our little box of expectations. And when my expectation is not being met or when I don't understand, I have to know the why! And when I don't understand it, 
I become disillusioned with the Lord. And the point is when I don't know the way and I can't see the path, I've got to remember the who. That it's the Lord, that He's always right and He's always good. Even when there's hard things in life. And the psalmist said, I'm still learning those things. I may not understand it all, but when I'm instructed in thy righteous judgments, when I have all the facts, I'm going to see that, God, you were right all the time. And I'll praise you for your righteous judgments. We may not understand all that God does or is doing, but we can be sure that the judge of all the earth is always right. And right now, in this life, we're like the psalmist. We're still learning. We only see the shadows of his perfect ways. But someday we're going to see all the righteous verdicts of God, and we're going to see that the ways of God have always been right. And we're going to praise him. The psalmist here pictures himself as a humble person, a humble man who's still learning. He needed to learn. There were things about God that he didn't know. But not only was he still learning, he was also a man who was still longing. Go back to verse 8 of Psalm 119. And here he says, I will keep thy statutes. Oh, forsake me not utterly. And as this paragraph of this psalm, this wonderful psalm, this first paragraph rather, is coming to an end, uh, a profound sequence comes into focus here. If we look at the, thing, the picture as a whole, and how he says, as we walk in the law of the Lord, seeking Him with all of our heart, and we're determined to be completely obedient to the law of God. It's going to lead us in a path of life that is undefiled. And righteousness is going to become the focus and the practice of my life. And the psalmist is reflecting on those thoughts. And in reflecting upon the implications of being obedient to the word of God, the psalmist says in verse 8, I will keep thy statutes. He says, if I walk in the ways of the Lord, I have a blessed life. And I'm determined to be completely obedient to the truth of God. It's going to lead me in a path of life that is undefiled. And righteousness and holiness is going to be the focus and practice of my life. I want to obey the word of God. But then he says, oh, forsake me not utterly. Why would he say that? I think it's because he's conscientious and he's conscious of his own failings and his sin. And the psalmist concludes here by crying out for God, don't forsake me in this. And he knew that sin would alienate him from his God and his plea was that God would be the one to help him. Don't forsake me. Praise the Lord that in Christ Jesus we have this blessed promise, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Praise the Lord that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The psalmist leaves his first stanza here with his heart still longing for the ability to keep God's law. And let me just make 
a statement here is a reminder. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved. It doesn't matter how much Bible you know. We need to be reminded that without the Lord Jesus Christ, we are nothing. Just because we've been faithful in the past does not guarantee faithfulness and obedience tomorrow. It doesn't matter how much Bible you know. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved. It doesn't matter how long you've been preaching. It doesn't matter how long you've been serving the Lord. At any moment and at any time, if we stop or cease making the Word of God the center of our life, if we stop relying on the Lord for His power to obey it, we're going to fall. It doesn't guarantee faithfulness for tomorrow. And the point is we have to continually make the Word of God the center of our life. Do you? Maybe you've been saved for 40 years, 50 years. Maybe you've been saved for two. The principle is the same for all of us. We must continually make the Word of God the center of our life. We need to rely on the power of the Lord to obey it. And when we do, we're going to find the effects of God's Word in our life continually. That's a blessing, and that's really what the psalmist goes into next. He starts talking about God's Word that is hid in the heart. He says it has an effect on us, and it has great value in our life, and that's where we're going to go next time regarding God's Word, its effect and its value when it's hid in the heart. I think the thought and the principle as we closed, as we close here tonight is, are you really building your life on the truth of God's Word? Is it the foundation for your life? And I'm not talking about all of just the, you know, the, the hobby horses and the main things that we like to grab onto. I'm talking about all of God's Word. What about those hidden issues of the heart? What about those attitudes of the heart? What about those things that the Word of God speaks very clearly on that sometimes we don't like to see, we like to skip over and gloss over because that's a sore spot. That's a, that highlights and spotlights something in my life and I don't like it. Are we surrendered? Are we truly at a point where God's Word is what really rules in my life? And when God's Word begins to shine on me and show me areas of weakness in my life, am I humble? Am I surrendered? Am I yielded to it? Where I say, okay, Lord, thank you for that correction in my life because God's Word, the, the, is, the, the Scriptures are profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Amen? Aren't you glad for God's Word? I am. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for principles that come to life. And they're not just things that we can read on the pages and we can break apart and we can dissect them and look them over, up and down, and all of those things. And I've gained some head knowledge here. These are, these are principles for life. That God's Word is real and it's true. And if I will obey it and I will put it to practice in my life diligently, I'm going to reap the benefit. I'm going to reap the reward. I'm going to see the promise of God and the effectual working of the Word of God in my life. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us to 
have a, an understanding mind, an understanding heart to realize that these are not just outlines, these are not just words on a page, these, these are principles for life. And Lord, may we have a heart that says, I want to build my life on truth. I want to discover it, I want to know it, and then I want to be accountable to it. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to grow more and more in love with God's Word. Bless your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.